Welcome to a new weekly podcast series, Cooking the Books, with me, Jilly Smith. Half-hour programme about books in which food is the story. This week, I'm with Green Queen, Melissa Hemsley, whose new book, Eat Green, is a sustainability bible with its top tips on saving waste and eating to please the planet. I met up with her and Nelly, the very gorgeous dog, in her kitchen, where she was cooking up a feast. We're having a two-course lunch. <laughs> Oh, and that's Nelly also in. wanting lunch because actually this is my dream kind of day. I don't like it. A lot of the time when you meet people, they're like, let's do an email interview. And I'm like, no, there's Why no fun. And also selfishly, I talk so much. It would take me ages to edit myself. <laughs> this is fantastic and it's an honour to have you. And yeah, we'll have a lovely two-course lunch and then could go and put the fire on and just chill out. <laughs> fantastic. Now, I get that you're a bit of a feeder. I'm a feeder. Well, you've met my sister as yes, well. She's, she's a, a feeder. feeder. You missed my mum. My mum was here yesterday. <gasps> but actually, the broth we're going to have as part of our soup, my mum started it off. So you've had a bit of my mum's touch, I as it were. I am honoured. I feel <laughs> properly hemisleed. <laughs> now, let's talk about the book, Eat Green. Now, this is a sort of a Bible to sustainability. And I'm so, so behind you on this. Um, I've been trying my best. I know. I've been following. To do it. Yes. Giving up flying is yep. the, the biggest... You know, it's a real problem, actually. But what you've done with Eat Green, I have to say, hats off to you. You've made it really, really easy. We'll talk about going to Sri okay. Lanka. Yeah. But... <laughs> Conflicted. But, well, it is. I yeah. mean, it is conflicting. It yeah. is very tricky. But let's meander up your way through it. Yes. So first of all, why did you want to do it? Well, it's lovely of you to use the word Bible. I mean, I see it more as... Um, I would say it's a first a first helping hand. Lots of people cook this way already, which is prioritising seasonal, eating with the seasons, prioritising getting the most out of everything you buy. I know I've listened to Tom on your podcast before, lovely Tom Hunt and his root to fruit philosophy, um, and also Doug McMaster and Silo and, wa- and his philosophy of waste is a failure of the imagination. So I think a lot of people do cook like this already. And lots of people that love food know that a lot of the so-called waste parts of an ingredient are the flavour bits, like the parmesan rind and so on so for some people they might be like okay i know all this but actually thank you for the recipes that include all the ideas of how to use things up so you don't have to think about it because i know even me sometimes at the end of a very busy day the idea of going shopping putting a meal together and remembering to use everything up is just like three more steps that you don't need so i hope they'll enjoy that then there's the other side of people who i you know the book's been out now just for a couple of weeks and already they're going I didn't know about the broccoli stem. I didn't know about the cauliflower leaf. I had no idea I could use all these herb stems. So for some people, they've never been taught or shown that that ingredient is just as good as the part of the ingredient they are used to. So I'm pleased that people are into it. When I first saw my publishers about two years ago, they went, yes, a great idea. But I don't think it's like particularly buyable. I think they thought the book, like would people buy a book about low waste and so on? And I thought, I think so. I'm pretty sure lots of people would like to save money, help the environment and um, not not have guilt. Like the guilt when you throw something away. I, we all, I still throw things away every now and then and I beat myself up about it. So there's no guilt feeling, but everyone wants to save money. So there's that too. It's a fantastic way to save money. I mean, what I started with was ditching the plastic. Yeah. And I find that if I ever do go to the supermarket now, um, which is rare because I will always buy from open markets where the f- fruit and vegetables are much, much cheaper and you don't get any plastic mm. there. I find that I am gravitating towards the fruit and vegetables that are not in the plastic bag. So I am buying less in the store. I'm just buying what I need. Yeah. And then if I just avoid buying things 
things in plastic, I am being a little bit more mindful. Mm. And I come out at the end paying about a third of the price. Yeah, there is that too. And for, for those that think, but actually, um, convenience wise, I'm pay, I'm, I'm like spending more in times of getting around and I don't have that time. Actually, the great thing is probably in the last even six months, the amount of uh, shops popping up, the refill shops, the bulk buy shops, and even if supermarket is your only option, which, you know, lots of us have to go to the supermarket. There are some better supermarkets than others that are offering more choice. They are also listening to consumer concern yeah. and, and doing their unpackaged aisles. And, you know, did you watch Anita and Hughes, BBC One More on Plastic? Yeah. Series two is coming up, which I'm so excited yeah. about. So, but the thing is, if we, if we don't ask the brands we love to think more about their plastic, then they were not going to change. But they want to keep us on side. So I think the important thing is to have open dialogue and saying, is it okay? Like, I'm, I'm a big fan of your brand. Your product's not recyclable, whatever it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it makes an enormous difference getting people like you who have a big social media following to kind of start beating that drum because then people want to come with you. Yeah. As an influencer, I hate that word as much as you do, but it's it means that you do have influence. You use it very well. Um, I was going to start off with the frittata, but we're not. We're going to talk about the Cook for Syria um, oh, inspired Syrian lentil yeah. recipe. I actually mentioned uh, Cook for Syria quite a bit because I, I guess I feel that I haven't met, I don't think I've met many, many Syrians, but those that I have, I've just been blown, I feel like they've just been blown away by their cheerfulness, their love of food. And one of them is a, is a great guy called Imad. Um, and I met him through working with Cook for Syria, which was a cookbook. And they last year they had raised about half a million pounds. Yeah. And they also had Bake for Syria. Which went to UNICEF. It went That's to UNICEF. really important because, you know, it is about supporting the children in these war zones, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And Imad, as an example, is somebody that was a Syrian restaurateur from Damascus. He came over with his two young girls who are now um, settled and um, acing their exams. And they're teenagers now, basically. And he came over. And I'm not actually entirely sure how the first connection with Cook for Syria and Imad happened. But Imad's had uh, sell-out falafel pop-ups and he's looking for his space now. And he also has a thriving um, uh, catering company too. Anyway, I wanted to nod towards how much he's... You know, I didn't know about Aleppo, Aleppo pepper before I met um, Imad. And uh, yeah, there's a Syrian lentil soup with whipped feta, feta and yogurt and za'atar. My favourite. Are they? My oh, most thumbed oh, recipe in your book. Re- oh, I'm yeah. sorry I'm not cooking it for you today. <laughs> but his influence on me has been huge. I also, what I really liked that was a positive is I got to meet quite a lot of my food heroes through helping cook for Syria because lots of the food community came together. And you see that all the time with Action Against Hunger, um, Street Smart. The food community in London and throughout the UK, I think, are incredibly generous and there's always something going on just a few weeks ago I did a some fundraising for three charities in Australia um where I just offered some cooking classes and, and every, all the money went to Australia. And I know there's lots happening this weekend too. Very exciting and it's, important. Yeah. And it is a job for you. I mean, it must take up a lot of your time. It's not something you do for charity um, on, the, on the side. I mean, I don't mean that you get paid for it, but it is, a, it is a focus of the role that you play in the food community, isn't it? Yeah, well, no, exactly. It's, it's completely unpaid. And it's probably the work that... I call it work as in action. I'm doing stuff. Um, that I enjoy the most and I was just chatting to you just as you arrived um, about this course that I did at the end of last year and um, 
one of the things they talked about in this week-long course, no phones, no Wi-Fis, no reading, no nothing, was about um, a sense of purpose and acting in service to other people. And I know because we just mentioned you've met my sister, my mum's influence of her community work, her charity work, and on a very, she would say that is not anything to be discussed. She she would say, I haven't done anything that no one else would do, but I don't think there is as much of that. And I think my mum gets that because she comes from a very poor family. She came to England, brought up two girls in a culture that wasn't her own and in an army base, or lots of army bases. I think Jazz went to 15 schools. I think I went to 10. So my mum's always been about making new friends. And I just get... The thing, when you do things for other people you do good you hopefully do some good but you also feel good so for my mental health for my sense of purpose I selfishly do it because it also makes me feel good and then when you get to learn how to make Syrian food from incredible chefs it's great but yeah I sort of said at the end of last year I want to spend I want to make a target of spending about a third of my time doing things just because if that makes sense just because it's good and it's important yeah well I'm particularly happy that you've chosen Syria for a start. I've, that's where I kind of came back into journalism in a very strong way. And I started podcasting. My first podcast was about uh, Syrian refugees. So good on you. But sustainability. Let's talk about um, frittata, first of all. Let's go to that one. The fridge raid frittata, which is really hard to say. Fridge raid frittata, fridge raid frittata. Um, my, I think one of the first things my mum ever taught me to make well she didn't my mum didn't teach me to make anything I picked it up because you just do you pick things up along the way she would always find um I got the impression that cooking was always she was she's an amazing cook but it was something that had to get done because she was always in a rush I feel like I'm the same I'm always chasing my tail so I I didn't um I didn't ever see her relax over cooking, let's say. But one of the things I think I learned from her is not necessarily how to cook, but how not to waste. So a frittata would come up time and time again every week. Things got emptied out of the fridge into the frying pan that was the frittata pan, or they got made into a soup. So like big Sunday soup was a big one. Um, The fridge-raid frittata is the idea that anything can be combined with some eggs, you know, sort of 50% eggs, 50% veg predominantly, and baked yeah. Like the bottom cooked, pop, popped under the grill, and it always tastes different. Yeah. To be properly sustainable, you need a few tips because yeah. a lot of people don't know how to do that. You can see your fridge is full of stuff that's got to go, but what do you do with it? And I would say, you know, f- fried rice or a frittata or a soup, you know, absolutely transforms your ability to empty your fridge. Yeah. Really, you know, instead of almost bringing back school cooking lessons because I didn't grow up cooking so I don't I don't know how many people are getting school uh, cooking lessons now I would say do waste teach people how to see a meal when they open the fridge and actually one thing as well that you can do and it's especially good if you live in a big household or you share shared household have um the shelf that's sort of eye level as you, when you open up the one that you can see most easily are you not the back of the fridge or the bottom drawer put things that need using up there because that will encourage you to use those up and when I first I basically moved myself into my boyfriend's flat when I met him he used to have like three tubs of hummus on the go three tubs of yogurt and he would waste it simply because but when he went out to shop he'd forget what was there yeah. so you know taking That's a picture <laughs> don't want to generalize and say it's a man thing but <laughs> but you know taking pictures of your fridge is a great way to do it just before you're popping out 
I mean, I know people will roll their eyes at the idea of a meal plan, but I will think to myself, you know, what am I doing this week? What are, what's a dish that I absolutely am craving this week? Like, for example, I'm craving a, um, a chili this week. I saw someone posted like a chili con carne and it was actually a veggie one. I was like, I've got some dried chilies that I've had for God knows how long. And in my head is I'm going to make that and I'm going to make a big vat of it and then I'm going to pop it into the freezer. Yeah, that's it. So you do talk about freezing, but the thing that I picked up from you and tried out and very successful there uh, was the risotto. So we'd make a lot of risotto and my husband loves making risotto, but he always over makes the risotto. Yeah. But you have a top tip with the risottos. Which one? The quinoa cakes? No. No, which one? Arancini. Oh, the arancini. Oh yeah, exactly. So, so talk us through the arancini. It's well, a genius. Well, the idea. thing is, I, obviously I must say the Italians invented that, not me in my home in Leytonstone. But the idea that, you know, when, when you overcook, risotto or even any kind of rice or grain is just pack it and you can do obviously the arancini style balls you can pop some mozzarella in the middle if you want it to be melty and lovely but just making fritters or arancini or whatever out of that is a fantastic way of rolling over a meal but it not feeling like oh a lot of people will think i don't want yesterday's meal again i know a lot of people it's really important to have variety and i i, I agree lots of variety and diversity but if you want to turn something into nothing save your money save your hassle it's so satisfying that's why i thought of it in that way i thought right let's have a risotto and let's actually this time deliberately overcook (laughs) because i really want to try those arancini it's interesting what you said about the italians i'm not sure that they actually made the arancini from leftover risotto i think it was more of a deliberate thing really do you know oh no we'll we'll check it out later maybe it is inspired by waste yeah maybe it was an act of um yeah it, was, it, it probably became it probably started off as a, as a leftover and they went I'm not sure Italians do leftovers <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah no I, I, I grew up always being excited by leftovers yeah. I saw leftovers as something exciting to look forward to I know a lot of people will think I don't it feels like a second rate meal yeah. or a second best so again I try and show ideas for things that can roll over into the next one because I think leftover halfway to dinner 80 percent of the way to dinner <laughs> you're there good old bubble and squeak you know for, bubble and for squeak. leftover breakfast the next day amazing unbelievable and i have a bubble and squeak in the book and it, it reminds I, I you know when you do a book you think to yourself well you know um there's so, there's always so many recipes things have got to get cut 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 and actually i find it very emotional when you're told to dump recipes they always come back up again i keep them for the next book but i was thinking about doing an okonomiyaki the japanese pancake I've probably said it wrong sorry and I was like either I put in a bubble and squeak or I put in an an okonomiyaki and I used to go to okonomiyaki restaurants in Tokyo when my uh, when I went to visit and I thought why don't I do the lovely sauce that goes over that sort of like it sort of tastes like a sort of it's almost obviously I don't want to describe Japanese sauces how's the parliament sauce mixed with tomato sauce but it's got all those flavors in it like the anchovy the deep the sweetness the tomato so I've done a sort of Japanese-inspired sauce on top of the bubble and squeak. So I'm like fusing. And I think I don't... I know some people get annoyed. You know, I know before when Jazz and I were spiralising courgettes into courgette that Italians got angry with us. I know when I've made a dal a different way, some people get tell us off. But at the end of the day, I just think it's your dinner. Get it on the table. And I think because we have an, a Filipino mum, we had no idea growing up what was Filipino, what was English... So I don't have a problem with fusing things or taking shortcuts. I think at the end of the day, 
it like I say, it's your dinner. What do you want to look forward to when you're coming home on a sweaty, wet tube and you're walking in the door? What smell do you want to have in the house? Amazing. Absolutely. How does your tummy want to feel when you roll into bed? Exactly. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, let's talk about your mum. Your mum. I am so desperate to meet your mum. Because Jasmine is also just as inspired by your mum. You are oh, yeah. feeders because your mum fed you, yeah. clearly. And you, uh, she seems such an inspiration. You talk, Both of you talk about her all the time. You grew up going around the world like I did. You both were all army kids. Yeah. Um, and, and that means that you're either cooking a lot of very homey stuff or your little magpies picking up all the inspirations from around the world like my parents were, which sets up a real love of food. But... The crucial thing is to mix the two. So you Mm. get those lovely homey recipes that are the staple of your life Mm. while having that real exciting taste of the world on your dinner plate. Tell me about growing up. Well, we actually didn't travel that much. We we went to Germany. (laughs) So it wasn't that far flung. I went to Germany as well. And and, and I love Germany, but we didn't get to... I I think, actually, I remember my family saying, I think Jazz was leaving, was old enough now to have not moved with us, but I was in my my teens, they were like, Dad's, you know, we could potentially go to Russia. And I remember being like, no, I don't want to go. My GCSE. And I wish we had gone. I think, in hindsight, I think it would have been brilliant to go and live in Russia and be able to visit, you know, all the neighbouring countries. But what I did, my dad travelled all the time, so he was constantly bringing back recipes, Ukrainian food, Kazakh food, food from Azerbaijan, Georgia. Um, so he, even though he couldn't cook a thing, I've never seen him cook in my entire life. He's he's passed away now, but he brought that back. And then, yeah, my mum's Filipino influence, which is, and Filipino food is this mad mix of Spanish, Chinese, um, there's a little bit of coke. So it's, it's, it's not like Thai that's sweet, sour, spicy, tangy. It's, it's a bit of everything. It's, there's a lot of braising and vinegar and tamarind. And there's a little bit of coconut and there's not very much spice and there's not that much herb, but it's comforting and delicious mm. and gingery. And actually, I'm going to do a little Filipino twist on my soup. But yeah, like I said, you don't know what's, what's, what's normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? With my fingers going normal. You don't know what's British. But actually, one of, the, one of my comfort foods is like I love a British stew or, you know, I love a scotch broth and I love um, an Irish stew and I... I I love everything, to be honest. I I cannot actually believe that I work in food. And I've been doing it. I worked out for 10 years now. This is my fourth book. Um, I hope there'll be more. But I'd, I'd never thought that something like this could be available to me growing up. And I always say to people, if you want to cook, cook for a living. Tell us about the rescue soup, because this is your mum's staple. Now, you are going to make it for me later on, I can't yes. But talk me through it. Well... Like all my recipes, they're very flexible. So you can take it any which way you want. But the base is basically forever in my fridge, my entire life. And now, young and old, is a broth of some sort. Um, normally, it's it's chicken. Growing up, there was a lot of fish. Um, you know, like fish head broth and all sorts. But there's always broth. And you would dump whatever. So sometimes there was leftover rice dumped in. You'd have noodles. I was about to say fresh noodles. We never made fresh noodles, but I mean as in not leftover. There was always something dumped in. Um, You and I are going to have... I've picked some chicken off the wings yesterday. I made it out of chicken wings. Uh, I'll add that in. But it doesn't have to be a meat dish. I mean, there's the broth, obviously, that comes from the bones. But it's not about the meat at all. It's about the vegetables. So um, anything could go in there. And one of the things my mum said she missed the most when she came 
came to England was not having local greens. Mm. So I was like, what kind of greens? I don't have a name for them. There's no name for them. Mm. It would just be greens. So, so always I remember, you know, you'd have a pan, you know, this big, which felt like the pan you could sit in when you were little. And she would have the broth bubbling away. The, I, the smell of my childhood is chicken broth. And she would maybe add ginger, which you and I are going to do, garlic and onions. And she, she called, she says, with garlic, ginger and onions, everything tastes good. I said as a joke, oh, they're like the Holy Trinity. And she told me off because she's Catholic and <laughs> you don't joke about things like that. But in my head, that's how I think of them, even though I shouldn't really say it. Um, but then, you know, you would see her pile all these greens in and you think that she's putting too much in. And of course, they cook down to nothing. But that that's a visual I have of just tons of greens coming in. She would spend ages cleaning them because she would get them muddy from the market in Kingston and she would spend ages cleaning them. And I would find that, you know, she, she knew how to make vegetables taste really good. So I think Jazz and I, we would eat a lot of food. One of my earliest food memories is I can remember sitting in a nappy with my with an itchy army carpet on my bum, you know, on the tops of my thighs, wherever the nappy finished. And she would cook, she would, she, she said boil, but she didn't mean boil, boil. She meant simmer. She was cooked prawns, sweet prawns, baby prawns, um, very plainly. And then she was peeling them, dipping them in vinegar, like a sweet vinegar, mm-hmm. um, and popping them in my mouth. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't want to guess, but I think I got to a really embarrassing age but I would still ask my mum to feed me with her hands. I think Jasmine told me that same story. Yeah. I would make Jasmine sleep in bed with me and tell me stories about Sylvanian families. I think till I was about 13. And I would make my mum feed me. But my mum ate a lot with her hands. And Jasmine told me that yeah. she made your mum feed her too. Yeah, she did. And I think that was, I guess that's a sort of feeling from like breastfeeding, yes, isn't it? it is. we, we basically were hand fed. But, my, I, but then I also remember to my shame being really, really embarrassed by my mum eating with her hands when I got a bit older and people would come around. And you know, you, you feel terrible when you think about all the things you got embarrassed about. Yeah. But I did grow up in Surrey and I didn't, wasn't used to, people you know my mum's ha- our house smart of chicken broth and chick and, and fish and and it, you you're embarrassed about everything when yeah, you're younger aren't of course, you of course. but i love eating with my hands yeah. and you know when you go to ethiopian restaurants and some asian restaurants you're encouraged to and i love that yeah, my dream yeah. look you know it's be barefoot eating with my hands yeah when you left home you realized that actually you hadn't actually learned to cook no. from your mum you just sort of imbibed her spirit yes and you then set about trying to teach yourself to cook now i'm very interested in this because i hear this from a lot of people ollie hercules nadia stokes at gourmet goat they all say the same thing that it was when they left home that they suddenly felt this empty this void it was an ache Mm -hmm. and they had to learn how to fill it by learning to cook themselves so tell me how you did it did you get on skype to your mum all the time uh how did i fill mum the void I think, especially because I was the baby of the family, I got away with murder. And so Jazz picked up a bit and I didn't really pick up anything. I wanted to cook. I started working. I went straight from my A-levels into working for a sustainable shoe brand, ethical shoe brand, various different companies within that company. And I was flying to Vegas and America and I was eating food that I'd never, you know, lobsters, you know, how it's all big old shows Mm -hmm. and buffets. And I was thinking I'm eating the best food I've ever eaten in my head, the best food. But I was already, age 18 to 21, feeling quite knackered. And I thought, that's not right. Obviously, there's the flying element. But I would think to myself, you know, I was eating really late. I was eating in a rushed way. And I was probably not eating very many vegetables. And I hadn't realized how many vegetables my mom fed us. Um, And it was back then where you couldn't, it was hard to eat many vegetables in a restaurant, wasn't it? Now, you know, there's 
you go to vegetarian restaurants or veg focused restaurants back then you'd be lucky if you got a bit of salad that was your vegetable and so I realized I'm starting to feel a bit crap and I'm I'm pretty sure as an 18 year old you're supposed to be at the best health of your life so I would call up mum and jazz and be like what is that thing that you used to make us you know we never it was never there was never really names for things it was like you know that soup what what soup's that and my mum terrible at giving instruction well no great at telling people what to do bad at like when you ask for some specifics so actually all the recipes i've ever asked my mum in mine and jazz's books and my books always just like pulling teeth trying to get the details she's always says change it change it because she couldn't remember the order or what were you trying to get freestyle she'd freestyle or she would say she, she she couldn't remember the order she was so instinctive she'd freestyle she'd say you could go this way and that way and I'd be like just tell me exactly what to do <laughs> and now it's funny because in my book it's all about freestyling and the, I feel like the camps are split between people that like to be told exactly what to do they want a recipe to be exact and those that like you giving them a bit of freedom yeah so actually Guy Singh Watson who wrote the forward for my book and he's the co-founder of um well the founder sorry Riverford Farms he said to me I like your recipes Melissa they're quite vague and I mean that in a good way (laughs) I was like thanks Guy um but she started to teach me over the phone what to do and I was staying in people's houses on their sofas when I was working in London, I had no money and I would start to try and make them food. And I remember going to a Thai restaurant and I had only went to Thailand for the first time two years ago. But so back then when I was 18, like, oh, I really like a Tom Yum soup. I'm going to try and make it. So I remember Googling Tom Yum soup and just trying to work it out and just teaching myself that way. And then with mum's eggs, mum's dolls, mum's everything just over the phone. Or like, I'd be like, Jazz, can you cook it? And maybe I'd take a picture and slowly slowly but once I feel that you've got a bank of recipes once you've got five recipes you know how to do and you realize that people like them and most importantly forget about people you like them then you start to get a bit more confident yeah so I in many ways I wish I cooked young when I was younger but in other ways it all worked out in the end of course it does. Of course it does. And, and, now yes. and now you're using food to actually kind of get that message out there. It's bigger than food, isn't it? It is yes. very much about, you know, saving the planet. Um, let's talk about the fruit bowl bait because it is an example of that. Again, you're just chucking a whole load of stuff in, but you're making something really lovely. And it kind of brings the, the book to, to a kind of nice close uh, because you know where you're going. So you do have your starters and your mains and your, and your you know, desserts. And this is an example of it, but the, the narrative through it is all waste not. Um, and here's some tips. So tell us about this one. Well, you know, it's waste. when you talk about waste not, and again, going back to my mum, she, she, I think once in an interview, I said, oh, my mum was really frugal. And she was like, oh, I don't like that word. And I was like, I think it's something to be, I think frugal doesn't have to mean stingy or anything like that. Frugal, thrifty is resourceful, is a lovely compliment. And I think in 2020, Everybody is thinking, what can I do to have a more positive impact? So fruit bowl bake came up because like most people, I love a banana bread. There's a million recipes for banana breads. Um, and that's obviously the great way of using up ripe bananas. I have got a friend, Sarah Wilson. Have you come across her? No. Australian lady. Um, I'm going to show you her recipe in a minute. She's got a banana bread with, with the banana skins in. I didn't, I didn't go that far, but, but I, I don't know actually. Maybe we'll, I haven't got any bananas in, but, um, she, she, she says they're delicious. Um, but yes, yeah, so there's a lot of banana bread recipes. And then I realized that, okay, a lot of bananas are getting saved around the world through banana bread. Um, but what about the apples? And, you know, just looking at that apple over there, a lot of apples end up 
being thrown into handbags, sports bag, rucksack, and they get bruised and then no one wants to eat them. And there's only so many times you can chop up animals and simmer them with cinnamon and pop them on a porridge or make a crumble. It gets boring. So I thought, why not make something with, with apples and bananas or pears, apples and bananas? And I'll make something that, you know, I don't have a big sweet tooth and I know lots of people want to cut down on sugar, which is fantastic. So I thought, let's make something that's not too sweet. It's got the natural sweetness from the fruit and can be a bake. It can also be turned into muffins and people love it. And and actually, again, the book's been out for two weeks. It's the one that keeps coming up and up. And so it's great. So what I'm trying to do, because, you know, I've learned my lesson. If I talk about healthy food too much, people automatically think it must mean diet or misery making or that I'm trying to instruct people how to eat. So, you know, with health, with with feel good planet people, friendly. Is that people or, me, or media? It's, I would say it's probably media. I've, I've, to be honest, I think even when... Um, um, you know, someone would write and say, "Oh gosh, stop telling people how to cook and uh, how to cook and eat." I think to myself, "Okay, well, you know, it, it, it is. It is often it, we would have conflicting pieces. We would have one uh, paper running our recipes, um, and and the journalist saying, "Oh, I've gone round to the house and they've cooked me. It was brilliant." And then the next week, there would be something that would say, um, "You know, the, these two sisters are part partly responsible for people." Um, not eating enough good food. I mean, it was always, it, it was it was a tricky time because I really wanted to set the record straight. But I also thought to myself, maybe I'll just let the recipe speak for themselves. And, um, and on Instagram and in real life, um, people would say, your recipes have really brought my family around the table again. And that's what I wanted to do with this. So the fruit bowl bake is brilliant because if you just want to go and you've got your fresh apples and your fresh bananas and you want to make a nice bit of baking, great. But if you, like most people, have bruised apples, bruised bananas, it's a great way and it feels good. And that's the thing we've said. When you don't waste food, you save money, which we're all a fan of. It's better for the planet, which we're all a fan of. And But most importantly, flavour comes first. Yeah. So you've just come back from Sri Lanka. I've just come back from Sri Lanka two months ago, yes. It was your first time there. Yeah, have you been? I have been three times. Oh, lovely. And I love it. I did a piece about ecotourism and how important ecotourism is for rebuilding the country. Yeah. It was a 40 years of war, had finished, it, we had to do something. And, you know, the, the tourist pound, the tourist dollar is very important. And I am very, very conflicted with this because, you know, I want to, to use my journalism skills to, to, to tell good stories. and yeah. But I don't want to fly. Yeah. So... And you're half, are you halfway through your first year of not flying? Uh, no. Last flew in July. Wow. And I have no intention. What I want to do yeah. is start doing lots of train travel. Yes. I'm going to Slovenia overland. I'm going through Paris, Munich, Austria overnight with my husband in a sleeper arriving in slovenia then traveling through slovenia by car and then we're going to try and get an electric car all the way back to uh brighton I lo- all the way back to brighton back to home for that cup of tea it's going to taste so yeah, good yeah i would like to do the same are you are you gonna is that all going to be documented yeah brilliant yeah and that's what i would love to see more of yeah so i feel well i was telling my boyfriend about you who's just left to go on his uh training for his triathlon I was telling him about you on as you were arriving today and I was saying that I've seen on your Instagram you said my husband's gone off on this flight and I've stayed behind and I said to him what you know how would you feel if I did that and he was like she what (laughs) about you and I said yeah Henry it's really important to people people are really doing what they say they're going to do now and just before I think last summer unrelated to you I hadn't seen what you were doing I said god I really want to go to Sri Lanka I really really want to learn more about Sri Lankan food I've always wanted to go to Sri Lanka do I feel comfortable going? Is this the right thing to do? And he was like, well, I'm going to go without you. So I went 
And I loved it. And I've come back and I feel genuinely conflicted now about what I do next. And I have not been going to, as part of my book tour, I haven't been going on um, short haul flights for um, things because it's completely unnecessary because I can do a lot like this and I can do a lot on the train. And actually, I really enjoy being on the train. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do it's, now. I, think I don't it's think I will. I think it's year. down to time and choice. I don't do a lot of stories anymore. If you have time, it's easy. My daughter's mm. going down to Venice to meet some friends. and She worked in an Italian school and she's going by bus. It's going to take her 18 hours and she's, she's going to have loads of fantastic people. stories. She really will. So I think it's about time and I think it's about choosing right. Yeah. But the reason I ask you about Sri Lanka is because, I mean, you know, you have a lot more influence than I do. And so those choices really matter. Um, mm. When you are thinking those things through, mm. do you just think, OK, I'm going to make as much from that trip as I possibly can? Yeah. I, that's the other way of doing it. Well, because one, well, there's, there's two things. I ran these events called the Sustainability Sessions in September. And um, I did it because two years ago like you I was thinking what more can I do and how can I learn and if I put things into Google uh, a lot of um, uh, things that will overwhelm me and make me freeze potentially will come up and actually I want more how-tos so then I was like okay I'm going to gather together people and we're going to have eight sessions well I thought I'd be lucky to have one session. I didn't know who was going to say yes to speaking and who was going to arrive. And one of them, the last, it ended up being the last of the series. And it was the one I was most looking forward to gathering the experts together was the one, how to be a modern traveler in today's age. Oh, Nelly getting a lovely kiss. (laughs) And we had a woman called Sophie Hellier, who's a surfer, cold water swimmer. She's got these events called um, Rise Fierce Retreats. You would love it. She's moved to Cornwall. She lived in Ireland. We had Juliet Kinsman, the travel journalist, who's got a sustainable consultancy called Boutico, where she tells stories uh, from people uh, at hotels having a putting positive impact tourism at the top of the agenda uh, and a couple of other people. Anyway, one of the uh, panelists, made the good point why are we traveling so much and she said one of the things that occurred to her was what are we running away from or why are we going on holiday so she said let's think about the intention oh why are in some for some of us are we traveling across the world or even on a short haul flight for a weekend because we simply are going to just fall asleep because we're knackered and we're getting away from reality and she went or are we using our movement to enjoy an experience add a positive impact uh, make the most out of something and this is slightly off topic but I really thought about that and I thought why do I, why am I going away my boyfriend for example when we've talked about flying is like I have to he works in art he's like I have to visit galleries I have to do it and obviously in my head I'm thinking what do we have to do and what choices do we have to make I could say to myself and this is what I said to myself I want to go and have a lovely time in Sri Lanka by meeting people learning from them sharing stories I wanted to talk about fair trade because I work with fair trade and the impact it has on tea and spices but then I really thought to myself I just don't know if it was all worth it if I if I had to on my dying day say what impact have I had on the world did I do the right thing so as someone that loves to feel guilty I have definitely said to myself the flying needs to come to the absolute minimum that's my long way around it Um, and I 
do and I do plant trees but that's not gonna you know that's that's a gesture it's, it's symbolic it's important and I buy all my god kids um trees for their birthdays via home tree and tree sisters but I don't believe that we can just offset and I think that's an important thing that needs to happen is people don't just go I'm flying but I'm offsetting I'm flying I'm offsetting absolutely good luck with the book I think oh, that it, I think that it's a really important addition to the sustainability message. I know there are lots of books out there. I mean, I've done masses of, of interviews recently for the Delicious podcast on veganism. But I think this is more. I think these lovely little cook hacks are really great ways of just reminding people of how to live a sustainable life every day. Um, what do you want from it? Oh, I... There's 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 nothing more rewarding than knowing that a recipe becomes a sort of faithful friend and up your sleeve recipe for a busy family or a busy couple or a, or someone just cooking for themselves and they want to feel nourished. So there's that. I love the idea that I might help someone reduce their waste, save money, and so on. But I really what I like from this book is, and I think it's the bit that's most exciting for me is. Um, and maybe why I feel more confident in my role and in my career now is I would love people to just do what they want more with food, not be inspired by my recipes, hopefully, but actually just freestyle it completely from themselves. So I think helping people with a kitchen confidence is something that I'm really excited about and I think is working for, Pass- my, for my readers. Passing your mother's spirit on. Basically. <laughs> basically all the things my mum said I'm just hopefully sharing with more people freestyling mama you're gonna have to get mum on your podcast right so oh my god get her to write a book first thank you very much indeed thank you I love 